Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do another podcast covering brand new movies. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Search for it wherever you're listening to this right now, and you'll find it. Now, we just finished a three-part series looking at films of the 1980s in which a romance novelist was one of the main characters. We capped that off last week with She-Devil. That was directed by Susan Seidelman. This week, we're going to also look at another picture, starting off a new three-part series, also directed by Susan Seidelman, probably her most well-known of films, and I would argue it's her best film, too. Although she had a great debut with her very low-budget film called Smithereens. It's kind of a toss-up for me as far as which one I like better. Desperately Seeking Susan, this is going to start a three-part series in which I look at films of the 1980s in which a character gets amnesia and ends up living a different life than they had before. Desperately Seeking Susan stars Rosanna Arquette and Madonna primarily. There are supporting roles going to Aidan Quinn, Mark Bloom, Will Patton, Robert Joy, and Laurie Metcalf. It's a PG-13 rated film. It does have nudity, some violence, and some drug content and language. The runtime is an hour and 44 minutes. Seidelman directs, and the screenplay is credited to Leora Barish. Now, in Desperately Seeking Susan, Rosanna Arquette is the main star. She plays a woman named Roberta Glass. Roberta is this dreamy but largely lonely and very dissatisfied New Jersey housewife who contents herself to reading about the mysterious lives of others. She peruses the personals in the local paper every day. Now, one personal in particular has caught her eye. It involves Jim, played by Robert Joy, and Susan, played by Madonna. They use the ads in order to end up meeting in public places. Now, curious, Roberta heads out to catch a glimpse of the two when they meet in New York City, and through a mishap, she ends up with amnesia. Not to mention a case of mistaken identity that sees her having to play the role of being Susan herself because she can't remember that she's Roberta and other people start mistaking her for Susan. And trouble is, the wayward playgirl, the real Susan, is being followed by a crazed thug, played by Will Patton. He's intent on recovering some heisted priceless Egyptian artifacts that end up given to Jim, earrings that have been seen in the real Susan's possession. And with the help of Jim's friend Des, played by Aiden Quinn, who ended up luckily beating out for that role of then-unknown Bruce Willis, Des also mistakenly thinks that Roberta is Susan because he doesn't know Susan personally. So Roberta, as Susan, ends up having to traverse this dangerous territory to find meaning to her own life, even if she has to live the life of another to do it. I know it's a little bit confusing there. If you watch the film, it does make sense. Now, at the time of its release, first-time screenwriter Leora Barish's inspiration for creating Desperately Seeking Susan, she was inspired from a viewing that she had done recently of a 1974 French film from Jacques Rivette called Celine and Julie Go Boating. She ended up taking the ideas from that film and then spun off with her own personal experiences because she loved to read the personals ads in the local newspaper, just like Roberta. Barish also modeled the character of Roberta to some degree on one of her friends, a film producer named Sarah Pillsbury. It's kind of no surprise that Pillsbury did like the idea enough to co-produce it herself, along with her partner Midge Sanford. And that would be the basis of their new production company's first venture into films as Sanford Pillsbury Productions. Now that they had the script, they still needed a director. But their funds were limited. 
So they ended up reaching out to a director named Susan Seidemann, who had just directed one feature film before, just out of film school. It was an impressive debut, 1982 low-budget independent film, made for $80,000. It did have some French New Wave stylings that they liked. It was called Smithereens, and that offered a pretty similar story of a New Jersey resident who tries to enter the hip underground art and music scene in New York. So a perfect match for them at the time. Warner Brothers had initially been putting some money into seed the project. They ended up pulling out, though, and that made way for Orion Pictures to pick up where Warner Brothers left off. However, Orion Pictures did insist that a few revisions to the script be made. They wanted more romance. They wanted more conflict. They wanted to punch up the settings so that the film would have much more visual cinematic appeal. This would prove to be Seidelman's first effort working within a studio system. She had a professional crew now and an established cast of mostly seasoned character actors to boast. So a big leap for her in terms of filmmaking. However, they still hadn't settled on the lead performers. She wanted younger and more inexperienced than what she was being told in terms of casting the role of Roberta Glass. Roberta was written to be an older woman and they ended up casting Rosanna Arquette, who was in her mid-20s over the likes of those older actors like Cher and Goldie Hawn and Diane Keaton that they were looking at. That original script by Barish envisioned Roberta as that older wife, but the push was there from Sanford and Pillsbury in particular to go for someone that would appeal to a younger and hipper set of film goers. And that the producers did like the fact that Arquette could appeal to the younger demographic that they had envisioned for the film, and she had a certain look. She had a plausibly sexy demeanor whenever she needed to, and most importantly, a great comic timing they thought would be perfect for the role of Roberta, despite her young age. As far as the casting of Susan goes, the studio had made a push for Ellen Barkin. They even gave looks to the likes of known quantities at that time, Jennifer Jason Lee and Melanie Griffith. However, Susan Seidelman lobbied hard for Madonna in particular. And she was able to prevail in that decision because of budgetary considerations. She was a relative amateur at the time. This was her first real feature film, even though she had done some acting before in very obscure films that really didn't go anywhere. And Madonna was already known by younger film goers, the ones who were consumers and buying records. She had a hit first record. And Seidelman already had a rapport with Madonna. She knew her from her days when she used to hang out in the local clubs. Now, Madonna was already an established star in the world of music. She had a few big hits from her self-titled album. She ended up signing on, though, because she was interested in getting into acting. But during the making of Desperately Seeking Susan, she would end up skyrocketing to superstar status. Her second studio album, Like a Virgin, would be one of the hottest-selling records of the entire year of 1984 into 85, and this raised interest in the movie as they were making it exponentially. It would mark Madonna's debut in a major motion picture, to the point where the film would be seen more to industry professionals and to the public at large as a Madonna vehicle more than anything else. And that's something that Rosanna Arquette would end up regretting signing on for due to the focus becoming this imbalance and this trajectory change that happened with the film because of the high-demand singer's lack of availability, as well as this necessity for a lot more preparation and to beef up security in terms of how and when and where the film was going to be made. So even though it's a blessing, it was also a curse for the making of the film. Now, this is a tale that has been told in a variety of forums. You have a scene in which an Alfred Hitchcock film is being viewed on the television by Roberta toward the beginning of the story, that film is 1940s Rebecca, and that film also has a naive ingenue who finds herself unable to live 
up to expectations. She lives in the shadow of this more glamorous and exciting woman that she wishes she could be. That rather old-fashioned story gets the hip and trendy treatment in this delving into the style and fashion of the artistic side of Manhattan's Soho scene. Although this is a starring vehicle for Rosanna Arquette, she's delightfully cute in her own right. However, it's most memorable for the appearance of pop superstar Madonna. She solidifies her image with her mix of leather and lace and this pseudo-brat attitude, while she also delivers what's probably, I think, her most enduring film role and her best, even if she's playing what is essentially not very far from herself, Madonna essentially filled out the role personality-wise with her own personality to some extent, and she based her own attitudes on the kind of person that she thought Susan would be from her own experience. She even did the character's own hair and her makeup and her wardrobe. Madonna's presence would so overshadow Desperately Seeking Susan that Rosanna Arquette would get a BAFTA award as a supporting actress for her performance, despite being the undisputed star of the film. Now, the Golden Globes did nominate Rosanna Arquette correctly as a lead actress, so at least there's that. She didn't get that award, though. Desperately Seeking Susan does push forward this mild theme that dreamers can sometimes live out their dreams by donning the clothes and filling out a role with strangers that they cannot do when they're stuck in the rut of their ordinary lives. And like many young girls would do by co-opting the Madonna look, a yuppie housewife becomes a sort of hot commodity, not through changing her personality, but by how she's perceived by those around her due to her fashion sense and her own belief that her life is a blank slate, of course, blank due to her amnesia. In so doing, Roberta becomes an every girl by which to identify with as she rubs shoulders with the rarely seen, at least in mainstream movies, art and performer crowds that embrace originality and personal identity over the cookie-cutter conformism of the suburban American ideals that Roberta really does represent. Now, Desperately Seeking Susan is not a film that would garner many critical accolades outside of the performance of Rosanna Arquette. The story does meander a bit due to director Susan Seidelman's fascination with showcasing the setting and the people of the area more so than she's concerned with the main story at the heart of the film. I mean, New York and some of the boroughs, Soho and Manhattan, do become kind of like a primary character within the film. Seidelman did want to emphasize the wide variety of people, the culture, the styles in various parts of New York. She gives it an air of mystique and perhaps a dash of magic, literally employed in the magic shop sequences. The grit and vibrancy of New York especially contrasts to Roberta's existence in the vanilla-flavored and pastel-colored suburbs of Fort Lee, New Jersey, a la Roberta Glass, like Alice, through the looking glass, hence probably her name, she finds a wild and weird world to marvel and enthrall when she goes to New York. However, as a slice of pop sensibilities of the 1980s, it is a fun and interesting film just for these bells and whistles alone, with some nice performances by a solid cast of character actors to fill out all of that with great flavor. Although this would be a film that had many conceptual ideas going into it, the one thing that they did not have was an adequate ending for the film, and that resulted in several endings being shot, including one in which Roberta and Susan end up traveling together to Egypt, where they ride camels to try to return the earrings back to their rightful home. You can see that deleted scene that ended up being cut out on the DVD and the special features, and reportedly test audiences did not think that shot was necessary because they thought that the film would conclude with the one in the cinema between Roberta and Dez, and that's where they ultimately decided to let it end because that's what preview audiences thought was a natural ending. There is still a very brief final shot of them being rewarded for the return of the earrings to a museum. 
Orion Pictures did feel that they had a potentially big hit on their hands with Madonna to draw big interest because of her superstardom during the making of this film. They fought the MPAA's initial R rating. It actually was intended to be an R-rated film because of some nudity and sexuality within the film, but they were willing to make a few changes given Madonna's popularity among young girls to secure a PG-13 rating. And that PG-13 is the right rating, I think, personally to this film. You know, the singer's legion of young fans would flock to the theaters, at least so they thought. And yet, despite all of that pre-release hype for the movie, as well as Madonna's smash hit song and music video for Into the Groove, which is featured prominently in this film, the music video, by the way, comprised of clips from Desperately Seeking Susan, good promotion for the film, the song ends up playing in a nightclub within the film, which is kind of curious because it does establish that Madonna, the singer, exists in this world, but no one comments that a doppelganger in Susan is out there on the dance floor grooving to the Madonna song. It's kind of a weird deja vu moment there. Oddly, though, Into the Groove was not released as its own single until the April-released movie had all but completely left theaters in July of 1985, because Madonna's album, Like a Virgin, was roaring to great success and they were still releasing singles, they didn't want to be competing between that song and her own success. It was available as a B-side to Madonna's Like a Virgin track called Angel on a 12-inch maxi single, though before it was eventually released as a single in July. The film still, for all of that, was only a modest success at the box office. It took in just a little under $30 million and it never rose above number 5 in any week of its release. But it was deemed to be what it was. It was an art house movie that somehow ended up having the luck of having a major pop superstar in it, but still of limited commercial appeal beyond that. It struggled to find enough theaters willing to showcase it. And nevertheless, considering that the shooting budget of the film was reportedly roughly around $5 million, making almost $30 million would be deemed a hit by any standard, even if it never quite crossed over to become a real mainstream phenomenon the way that Madonna had in the world of music. And as a film, I would say this is more acute curiosity than it is a witty screwball romp. However, I do think that Desperately Seeking Susan will nevertheless hit home, not only for fans of Madonna, but for people who like that Soho kitsch and all things that represent the decade from which it is made, especially for people who like that mix of art house and commercial sensibilities. Desperately Seeking Susan is one of those films that really has grown in my estimation over time. At the time that I saw it in the movie theaters in the mid-1980s, I think at its heart, it is a film that is, despite its marketing and despite Madonna's appearance, is reaching for themes that appeal to an older audience, even with all of the young cast that they put into the film. So as I've gotten older, the more the film ends up making sense to me. And I've gone from thinking as a teenager, not knowing what to make of it, I've actually grown to quite like Desperately Seeking Susan, enough to give it three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a good movie. I really do think that this movie stands up to multiple viewings. There's a lot of thematic material here. It's whimsical, a movie that I like more each time I watch it. I wasn't a huge fan of it when I was a teenager, but as I've watched it, I think this is my fourth time watching it now. This is a movie that grows with me. It's definitely a recommendable movie. Worth checking out if anything that I've said appeals to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review of Desperately Seeking Susan. I very much enjoyed looking back at that film. As far as what I'm going to be reviewing next week, it's a movie that actually will be a first-time watch for me. It came out just a year before Desperately Seeking Susan. It is called American Dreamer. Another film with a frustrated housewife who 
ends up getting amnesia at some point and living a life of excitement that she never knew before. It stars Joe Beth Williams, Tom Conti, Giancarlo Giannini, and quite a few others. If you haven't checked that out, I definitely recommend checking that out before I get to it next week. I'm looking forward to partaking of that film for the first time. American Dreamer from 1984. Until next time, thanks again for listening and joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. 